Lord's good. <clears throat> Had a bit of a challenging week. didn't realize <laughs> we went to lunch yesterday for my for Charlotte's birthday and I was talking to my family about this and I hadn't realized how much I still needed to talk through and process because I was word vomiting all these details that things that didn't even matter but uh, I realized afterwards I still needed to work some things through mainly work stuff at work and not going to really get into details. It doesn't really matter. But um, we had to dismiss my loan manager this week because of suspicions of doing some things that she shouldn't have, which normally, um, you know, one might think that that might be a dime a dozen in that position. It's not. So it's uh, it it drastically impacts the things that I do every single day, and so it's, uh, it's been challenging, and, and not only that, uh, I did something, I don't know how long ago, whether it's a week or three weeks, or my, um, but on Wednesday evening, I was laying in bed, and this has nothing to do with my age, <laughs> but I was laying in bed on Wednesday evening, and my shirt was all bunched up in my back, and so that's not comfortable, so I put my head back in my pillow, and I can't really do it right now so to demonstrate because it doesn't feel very good. Anyways, I put my head in my pillow and lifted up my shoulders and back to pull my shirt down, and when that happened, Gretchen stabbed me with a knife right in the back. No, that's what it felt like, and I was like, ah, she goes, what's wrong with you? And I said, I don't know what just happened, but my back is killing me. Anyways, long story, I had hardly sleep all night long. Any position I was in was killing. It was radiating pain into my shoulder, blah, blah, blah. And so I went to the chiropractor on Thursday, and um, I had a rib that was out of place. And he was talking to me. He's like, have you fallen? Have you in an accident? Whatever. Anyway, something over the last few weeks, my rib was sitting kind of like this, and then when I arched my back like that to pull, you know, adjust my shirt, it went like that, and yeah, it was not fun. So I'm still dealing with that, and uh, it sounds like a small thing, but it's it's not comfortable at all. So fortunately, I can't breathe, though he was concerned that it, it you know, was going to puncture my wound or a lung or anything like that. That hasn't happened, thank the Lord. But um, anyway, so it's, it's been a, a, a challenging week. And, and through all of that, reminded once again, you guys are going to get sick of me saying it, but obviously it hasn't been communicated enough because the Lord still impresses and it's burning in my spirit is that he sees us and he knows exactly what goes on in our lives and and what was um, the best thing for me this week is you know I know that he sees me I tell you all the time I know it but the thing that was resounding in my spirit this week is that he cares you know Truth be told, they all love me, and, and they pretended like all the details that I was sharing yesterday they cared about, but they really didn't. Let's just be real. I know. But the Lord cares about every detail, every detail of our life, every single one. 
So we can take that burden that we have and pour it before him and not have to be worried about them saying, wow, are you going to get to the point? You know, he's never going to sit there and look at his watch. And I was talking to some guys on New Year's Eve about the Lord and, and time and how, you know, because uh, there's a, a guy at work, he's, um, and, he, and he comes in and he's a believer and he comes in and he's like, you know, the, I'm doing good and the Lord's returning any moment now. And, and, and every time I hear somebody say that, I always just think, you know, do I believe he's returning? Yes. Do I know, think it's tomorrow? No, I don't, personally. Um, I, I don't know when it's going to be. And, and my, my thing the entire time has been like this, that I'm going to live such that if he returns today, it's not going to be a, a problem for me. But I'm also going to plan as if he's never going to return in my lifetime because here's why I know that. My grandfather, for 30 years, says the Lord is going to re- be returning soon. Those that stood right there, going back even to the scripture, when the Lord ascended, we said many times, we're standing there looking up because he said he's going to return. So they're like, okay, well, he's going to be back any second now. And so the angels had to say to them, what? Why stand ye here gazing? And we were talking about, you know, obviously with New Year's and and coming over to a new year. And I was saying, you know, it's interesting how really it's one day in a calendar. Uh, went from a set Sunday to a Monday, so it's really ne- pretty insignificant in terms of the real time, as it were. But we, we take this time to reflect and take this time to, to be looking, maybe setting goals or different things that you want to do for 2018. What is the Lord saying? I would really encourage you, if you haven't done this, is to, to ask him. In every situation, Lord, what are you saying? Whether it's a challenge in your life, maybe things aren't going right. Maybe it's like you feel like every single time that you start to stand up that you get kicked and knocked down again. In every situation, or things are going well in your life. Throughout all of that, ask the Lord, Lord, what are you saying? Because here's what I have rest assured of. He is constantly speaking to us. And he desires to commune with us. And there are, situ- there are times, and I'm convinced, that he will allow situations in our lives to, in order to speak to us. Yes. Yes. So I would encourage you, maybe I need to write a book of, Lord, what are you saying? But I would encourage you to ask the Lord, what are you saying? Let's turn to Psalm 53. The Lord was speaking to me in my normal everyday reading. I've been reading the Psalms for some time now. As you can see, I'm in the 50s. I'm not in any hurry to get through it. I just enjoy what I'm reading. Sometimes I'll read the same passage over and over until I get to the point where I feel I'm released to go to the next one, and I would encourage you to do the same. And you'd be very purposeful in your reading. If that's something that you have a goal for 2018, Lord, give me purpose in my reading. Even if it's one verse that you're reading today, January 7th, all the way through December 31st, Lord, give me purpose in what it is I'm reading. Even if I have to stay on the same exact verse and just study on that the entire year, that's okay. I guarantee you'll get more by doing that than just saying, you know, let me read my chapter a day just for the sake I can check a box. But in verse 1 of chapter 53, this actually is very similar to almost identical, which is very interesting. Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 are almost word for word, which is interesting. That it would be the Lord would feel it necessary to essentially repeat himself 
an entire passage, but it says in verse 1, and I have say to people all the time, you know, if you want to make Scripture say whatever you want, you can make it say whatever you want, right? Because we can find in the second portion of this verse right here, it says there is no God. Right there, Scripture. Psalm 53, 1b, there is no God. Psalm 14, 1b, there is no God. But of course, we have to take everything in context, yes? It says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have been abominable, or have done, excuse me, abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. And I said, and, and um, CJ, I was reading before work one day, and CJ leaves even before I do in the morning, and, and he, he saw me. Actually, this is over break, must have been, but I don't know, whatever it was. I was, I was reading, he came in, and he, he, he came to me later, and I sat there, and I wept. Because as I read this passage, it just, it broke my heart, this next portion right here. First of all, we see that they're corrupt, and they do iniquity, and there's none who does good. But then the next verse says, God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there is any who understand, who seek God. And I sat there and I, and I imagined the Lord just looking down on the earth even today and saying, is there anyone? Is there anyone who loves me? Is there anyone who desires to serve me? Is there anyone that desires to have all that I have for them? And it broke my heart to think that the Lord would even have to seek. Why isn't it obvious to you, God? Why isn't it obvious that you see a multitude of people that are seeking hard after you? I'm not saying is there people that fill built church buildings on Sunday. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about is there a gener- will we be a generation? Is there a multitude of people that are seeking hard after the Lord for all that he has for us? I don't know about you, but I want to be one that he finds. When he seeks that, I want to be one right here. Lord, you can count on me. But this is what he finds. Every one of them is turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Have they workers of iniquity? No knowledge. Who eat up my people as they eat bread. and Do not call upon the God. There they are in great fear, where no fear was. So many people today live in fear and torment because they have no hope. They have no joy. So they, you know, I was talking to Josh about this the other day. We were, uh, Megan actually was setting up a, a for a, uh, I think, oh, it was our Christmas lunch at the office. And uh, so they were setting up tables and chairs, and she was orchestrating people where to put things and everything. And, and then one of them started saying, hey, Megan, where, where are the, where's the whatever? I don't even remember what, what it was, some alcohol that they were mentioning. And they were like, oh, yeah, when are we going to have that? I mean, literally it was 9.30 in the morning. And they're like clamoring over whether or not Megan has brought alcohol to our work Christmas party. And I, just, I stood there and I listened to them. And these, people, these are not 21-year-old kids. These are 50-year-old grown men and women who run businesses. 
And it just, it was so sad to me that the most excited they got about anything that they talked about as they were out there for 30 minutes milling around was whether or not there was going to be alcohol at this party. And Josh said something to me that was, it's kind of been, that I, that I keep on hearing over and over, and that is because they have no hope. No hope. No hope. Constant, living in constant fear of whatever. You fill in the blank. I mean, there's so many things that we can be fearful of. When you have no joy and you have no hope, you're, there's a lot of fear and despair that's going to be involved. So to cope with that, then you clamor for something that's going to cause you to be numb. Continuing on verse 5 here. For God has scattered the bones of him who encamps against you. You have put them to shame because God has despised them. Aren't you glad that he is looking out for us? Oh, that salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When God brings back the captivity of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. I want to go back to verse 2 and, and read another passage that's very similar to here. If we look in verse 2, once again, it says, God looks down from heaven. Let's flip over quickly to Ezekiel 22. Ezekiel 22, verse 29 says, just the end of 28, the Lord, Thus the Lord has spoken when the Lord has not spoken. Then the people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppress the stranger. Does that sound kind of familiar? <laughs> this is Ezekiel talking about. Several thousand years ago, but it sounds very familiar to the world we live in today. So listen to this next in verse 30. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me. Now this is the Lord speaking here. On behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. I'm grateful that the Lord isn't just up there in his literal heaven, seated on his throne of glory, and just says, I'm just going to turn them over to themselves. They get what they deserve. I'm in glory already. I don't need them. But he is seeking. We see here just on two occasions we could do an entire study, but we see here yet again the Lord is seeking and this one, he's looking for someone to stand, to make a wall, to take a stance, to stand in the gap. Are we going to be willing to stand in the gap for these lost people here in the city of Novi? Are we going to be willing to take a stand to say, we will stand for righteousness sake. We'll let our light shine so that you'll be drawn, so others will be drawn to the Lord, not to us, but to him. He says he found no one. They've turned aside. They're corrupt. Maybe you're in that group that 
turned aside or maybe you never really sought after the Lord before. Today, today, <laughs> I would invite you to start if you've never sought after him. And if you have, and to start over. Good news is, I'm not just going to pose a problem, I'm going to show you a recipe of how we do that. Before we do, though, we need to give a little background as to when this was penned. So back in 2 Samuel 12, David is challenged by a prophet, Nathan. And the reason why David is challenged is because of the fact that of something that David has just done. So David, in, in his kingship, he was in his palace, and he looked down from one of his high palace terraces. He saw this young girl named Bathsheba. He looked upon her and, and lusted after her. He, Eros, we've learned about the loves. It was Eros that he experience toward her. So he said to one of his servants, I desire that woman, bring her to me. So he takes her. Now mind you, this woman is married, so he takes her. We know the rest of the story, for, especially for the kids in the room, but now all of a sudden she's in a situation that David has brought upon, a situation she doesn't want to be in, and her husband is off fighting for David, mind you. There's gratitude. So many levels of wrong that David has partaken in here. So not only does he have a situation that, and a predicament with Bathsheba, so he, invite, he tries to cover it up and he invites Uriah back and says, why don't you come and we'll give you a little uh, furlough. They call it in the military. We'll give you a furlough. Come and be with your family for a while. And David hoping that he would spend some time with his wife. And, but Uriah is a man of integrity. He says, no, I'm not going to come and enjoy my family when the rest of my brothers in arms are out, still out fighting for you, O king. So we fast forward. So David still is in this predicament. And so what he does is he tells, he carries... Gives him a letter to carry, sealed, and doesn't even know that he's carrying his death sentence. Carries it to the captain or whoever was in charge there, and he tells him to put Uriah in the front of the, of the battle. And when everything begins to, to get intense, for everybody to step back, with the exception of Uriah standing there by himself, and of course he is slain in all of this. So we see David here as guilty of lust. We see David as guilty of an attempt to cover up. We see David as guilty of now murder. Some pretty serious things. Some pretty serious offenses. So Nathan comes to him in the 12th chapter of 2 Samuel and tells him a story. So there's this young man who has a, a lamb. Besides his family, it's the only thing that he has. 
his most precious possession, his prized possession. And there's a rich man who has a, a guest that comes in and, and decides that, you know what, instead of using the things that I already have, I have everything that I wanted, but I'm going to go over to this man and I'm going to demand that I have his single possession, his most prized thing that I have. And he takes his lamb and he kills it and he gives it to his guest. The rich man gives it to his guest. And the other man is left with nothing, no possession. So David rises up and says, who is this man? Let's punish him. Let's bring him to the full justice of what we have. And Nathan says, very powerful words. You are the You're the man. You stole from Uriah something that was not yours. You had anything that you wanted. You had wives, concubines, anything you possibly could ever want. Yet you had to have something that was not yours. You had no stake in. How many times in our lives are there things that we have, we are blessed no matter where, what situation right now that you are in financially, you are blessed. You slept in your home last night. Apartment, trailer, house, whatever it was, you did not freeze to death on the steps of a church like somebody did this past week in Detroit. You're blessed. We're blessed beyond measure. Yet we want things that are not our own. So before we cast judgment on David and say, I would never. What things are we lusting after that are not our own? What things are we covering up and hiding and just over here, I don't want you to see this thing right here. I'm going to co cover that up. It's nowhere near as grievous as what David did. But what things are, are we covering up and desiring after? You are the man. Through all of this, through all of this, the end of David's life is that he is cast into hell and, and burns forever, right? No. What is it said of him? That he is a man after God's own heart. How is that possible? Someone who would do this that we see here in 2 Samuel. How could someone ever be classified as a man after God's own heart? Because here's the good news. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. Yes. Yes. This right here. This passage that David wrote. After these moments when he spent with Nathan. This is what made David different. And this is what saved his life. Turn to Psalm 51. Why was David a man after God's own heart? Because he knew how to repent. He understood the importance and the sincerity that has to be involved in repentance. You may have messed things up in your life. You may have done things that were not pleasing unto the Lord. Forget the may. We all have done things that are not unpleasing unto the Lord. Some we feel like are more 
uh, are grievous than others. There, there's really no such thing. We do that. We make the scale of, of grievousness, if it were a word. But the Lord looks on it and says, that's sin. So don't discount yourself and say that I'm disqualified to the things that I've done because we all have opportunity to read Psalm 51 in our lives, and I have, trust me. And it says in verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God. And I love it. It says here, According to your loving kindness. What an amazing word of loving kindness. Not only is love, the Lord's love, perfect, and we know that his goodness or his kindness leads to repentance. But we put the two together, and it's his loving kindness that he has mercy upon us. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Now David, pre-Jesus, didn't understand even the fullness of redemption. So we can interject in here today, cleanse our transgressions, because they're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Maybe he did have an understanding. If we continue on here, if we continue reading, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Well, this is New Covenant. Here he is speaking in the New Covenant. He doesn't even know. Verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgressions. Here's the key. I acknowledge it. Not in denial of it. He acknowledges what I've done. And my sin is always before me. If there's ever been in a situation where you are living in sin, or you have something that is so easily besetting you, things that, that, something that you have that keeps on tripping you up, yes, it will ever be before you. Against you. Okay, so first of all, in verse 3, he acknowledges the fact that he has sinned. He's admitting that he's a sinner. And verse 4, he recognizes to whom he's sinning against. Against you. You only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and my sin, and in sin my mother conceived me. Verse 6, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, you make me to know wisdom. The Lord desires truth in our inward parts. He doesn't desire truth in your Sunday morning best. And then when you leave here and nobody sees what's going on, and you can live whatever way you want. But he desires there to be truth in our inward parts because out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of our heart, we will act. So if we have truth in our inward parts, we're not going to struggle with telling the truth. If we have truth in our inward parts, we're not going to struggle with living righteously before the Lord. So that's why he desires truth in our inward parts. And the hidden part, you make me to know wisdom. How is it that you are able to make the next right choice? By having wisdom hidden in your heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. That hyssop we know is 
goes all the way back to Passover and how they applied the blood on the doorpost. It's actually an interesting, if you ever Google hyssop, it's an interesting looking flower, I guess you would call it, plant. It's really has really long stalks and has purple flowers in the end of it. I would imagine they probably would have had to dry it out or something because it, if, we would have, if it was fresh and you dip it in blood, it would just bend right over from the weight. But I love how he ties this in here. Purge me with hyssop. Apply the blood to my life so that the death angel will pass over me just like he did with the children of Israel. In doing so, I shall be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Verse 10. Now we have confessed, we acknowledged, we've said, okay, I have committed sin against you, the Lord. You've made me clean, or or, excuse me, you've blotted out my transgressions, washed me. Now what? Okay, we're clean. So just so we can get dirty again? It's like when the kids, you know, they have their Sunday best on and they walk outside and it's raining and they just jump in a puddle. But he's washed us and made us clean. Next, create in me, in verse 10, a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Can you imagine the cry of David's heart, knowing all the things that he's done, pleading with the Lord, don't cast me away. Don't take your spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. So now that we've been redeemed and restored, now what are we challenged to do? Teach others. Encourage others along the same path and say, listen, when we fall, the Lord is there. When we repent and, and turn ourselves the way that we're supposed to go, He's going to help create in us a clean heart. And then here's the next steps. These are a recipe. These are things that He's telling us we can do in steps that we can be taking. Now, I have learned from this. I, I, I've had things in my life that, I, that were challenges, that were things that I've fallen. Now it's my responsibility. I've been given a charge to share with others. David can say that too. Verse 13, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation. My tongue shall sing aloud for your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you desire not sacrifice, or else I would give it. Hmm. Does anybody ever read that verse without thinking about Buke? <laughs> you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. 
do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Watch this in 17. These, O God, you will not despise or turn away, refuse. When we truly come to him broken and contrite, he will not reject you. Isn't that great? Oh my goodness, so good, so good. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bowls on your altar. Create in us a clean heart, O God. Maybe you've never had a relationship with the Lord and you're one of the ones he was talking about in Psalm 53 that has turned aside and it's none that is good. He couldn't find anyone who sought after him. But today, you can choose to say, this is not your legacy. Yes. Maybe you're like David and you've had a relationship with the Lord in the past, but you've allowed other things to get in the way. But today, you want to turn in right standing to the Lord. Maybe you accepted the Lord and you have your fire insurance, as it were, but you're really not sold out to him and don't really seek after him, seek after him that hard and not sold out. But today, you say, you know what? I want more. Maybe you're serving the Lord and haven't done any grave sin. Maybe you can't even identify with things that David has done. Some of us have. Maybe it's difficult for you to identify with that, but you've allowed things to kind of, the cares of this world, as it were, to cause you to be dull. Today you want to restore the joy of your salvation. Maybe you're pressing on in him all that you know how, and you just say, you know what, today, Lord, I want all of you. I've had some of you, but I want all of you. Everything and nothing less. My best, my all. You deserve my every breath, my life, my song. I surrender. I surrender all. If you can identify with any of these things that I just shared, why don't you stand with us? Lord, you see hearts and you know each and every single one. Lord, you can see right into the depths of who we are and we're grateful for that, Lord. We can't run and we can't hide. Lord, we're thankful that your goodness and mercy actively pursue us all the days of our life. So Lord, right now, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, we ask that you would just touch each heart and life, that you would speak. Lord, if there are those that need to go home today and to read through Psalm 51 to, to make themselves right with you and right standing, Lord, we 
would ask that you would remind them by your spirit. Speak to them. Even throughout this week, Lord, that you would continue to allow this word to churn in our hearts. We pray for every situation, Lord, whether it be someone who just wants all that you have to someone who doesn't have a relationship with you at all. Lord, just to pray for each one, Lord, right where we are. So great, Lord, that you can meet each and every one in every moment. Lord, you care about the details of our lives. Lord, you care about the concerns, the smallest of concerns that we have that maybe we won't even have 24 hours from now. But Lord, you care about us enough to care about those details. Not only do you see it, but Lord, you're interested in it. So Lord, we just do ask, even right now, by your spirit, Lord, that you would just meet every single person in this room. Whatever their desire is in you, O oh God, Lord, that you just meet. Lord, I say, come and have free reign over the house. Come and have free reign over my life. Lord, I surrender. I surrender all to you. Lord, because you do all things well. Lord, we can lift our arms and our hands and praise to you and know that you'll take care of us. We have no reason to be fearful. We thank you for these things, Lord. We thank you for your word. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.